Let's pray together. Lord, indeed, keep us near the cross. Keep us ever focused on the cross and your great love for us there, but also your great sacrifice there that calls us to live a life of sacrifice, that calls us to live for you and to walk with you. So, Lord, uh, as we read your word, just call us to be your servants. Call us to walk in your light. We ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Well, I'm going back uh, in the Gospel of John and picking up where we left off in John chapter 8. And I want to read verses 12 to 20. Today we're really going to uh, focus primarily on, on verse 12 and uh, the context, verse 20, and the, kind of the argument in between with the Pharisees. I won't get into a lot uh, today other than to make mention of it. And again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sends me, sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know who my father is also. These words he spoke to the tre in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Thanks be to God for his holy word. Amen. Well, I want to begin uh, at the end of our text in verse 20 because it gives us the setting. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. When we think treasury, we probably tend to think of, of the treasury building like in Washington, D.C., or, or maybe we think of, I don't know, Fort Knox, or maybe we think of a, a, a bank vault. But the temple treasury was not a separate building. Rather, it was located in the women's court of the temple. So it was in the open-air court, as you see pictured here. I think we have a photo of that area. It was named the women's court there uh, because this was as far as the women were permitted to go. It's not a very good picture, but you're kind of looking down on the, on the temple, and that open-air court in the front is where we're talking about uh, this morning. And within that women's court... There were 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles known as treasury boxes. And I've included a couple depictions here of those boxes. Uh, the one on the right side is probably the most accurate because it was said that these trumpets uh, looked more like a shofar, and so they had a bend, they had a turn uh, to them. 
Regardless, the people came to, to call these boxes the trumpets. And as you might imagine, people who really wanted to show off would come and make sure their coins made a lot of noise as they rolled down those trumpets. Incidentally, it was in this area and into these boxes that Jesus would later observe the widow giving her two coins uh, that, he's, that were only worth a penny. We've come to know it as the widow's mite. So Jesus was teaching in this outer court where, where there would have been lots of activity going on, and it would have been rather noisy, but there would have been a lot of people there, both men and women. And I think the location is important because it's a reminder that Jesus' teaching was and is for everyone. Jesus didn't come just to teach the priests. He didn't come just for the elite religious leaders. He didn't come just for the men. He was in this outer court where he was teaching everyone, where he was sharing the good news to the entire public. It's an appropriate place for him to teach that he was and is the light of the world. Second, this location is significant because of the final statement in verse 20. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. The Sanhedrin, who later tried Jesus, met in a nearby hall. They, were, they met in earshot of where Jesus was teaching. And yet here was Jesus in this public court equating himself with God and saying, I am the light of the world. And if you knew me, you would know my Father. Here he was teaching those things, and we won't cover the details of his argument with the Pharisees, but what Jesus did was blasphemy to these people. What he said, what he taught was blasphemy. So why didn't they arrest him? Because God was in control, and it wasn't Jesus' time yet. I think it's important for you and I to never lose sight that the life, death, and resurrection all happen within the sovereign will of God. The coming of Jesus was not some afterthought when, when God saw that the people couldn't keep the law. The arrest and the trial and the crucifixion was not some unfortunate circumstance. It all happened in God's time and in accordance with God's plan. And it was all for the redemption of humankind. God had and has a plan for you and for me and our redemption. And that plan has always been the Lord Jesus Christ. The light of the world. So in this location, and by God's plan, Jesus said back to verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I taught on this text approximately a year ago when we were looking at the I am statements. And this is one of the I am statements. I am the light of the world. And remember, I am was used very definitively for Jesus to say, I'm equivalent with God. It's very much a reference to the name God revealed of himself uh, to Moses in Exodus 3.14 when God said, I am who I am. Which, of course, is why the Pharisees were so offended. It's why they were asking so many questions. But Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And as I pointed out a few weeks ago, Jesus is teaching a close 
uh, to the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember previously he had talked about, about how he was the living water. Remember that? And when he talked about living water, it was in the context of there daily being a pouring out of water and a celebration that reminded the people of the time in the wilderness when God provided water. Now Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And this too has a reference to the Feast of Tabernacles. The, the daytime celebration with the water had a nighttime counterpart, and it was a lamp lighting ceremony. And that lamp lighting ceremony, from what I've been able to gather, included lighting four huge candelabras. And, and they were lit reminiscent of the pillar of light that guided the Israelites during their wilderness wanderings. So it's against this kind of backdrop that Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. He's saying, our ancestors followed this pillar of fire, but I want you to follow me. As they followed the pillar, I too am God, follow me. I, for the one who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We live in a dark world, beloved. You know that. Sin has cast a very dark and long shadow over the world in which we live. Paul in Romans 1, and I don't have that text here, but he listed some of the darkness that we face. He listed lust of our hearts, exchanging truth about God for a lie, worshiping and serving the creature instead of the Creator, sexual immorality and unnatural relationships, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slander, hate of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. You can read all about it in Romans 1, 24 to 32 when you get home. Or you can see it on the nightly news or on Facebook posts or experience it in our own relationships. This is a dark world sometimes, very dark. But into this dark world came the light of the world. Over and over again, Scripture refers to Jesus as light. In John 1, 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. John 1, 9, Jesus is referred to as the true light, which gives light to everyone. In Luke 2, 32, Simeon called Jesus a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. In Matthew 4, verses 14 to 16, it says that Jesus fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah 9, and the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. You see, Jesus is the light of the world. He's pushed back the darkness of sin. He's broken sin's power over us. And you would think that people would flock to the light, right? But for some reason, we people love the darkness that ensnares us. John 3.19 says, and this is the judgment the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. 
This is heavy stuff this morning, folks. But the obvious question for us here is, are we following darkness or light? Are we following darkness or light? Jesus said back to verse 12, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, it's not enough to just know the light of the world. We've got to follow the light of the world. It's not enough to just know him as Savior. We've got to follow him as Lord. John MacArthur writes that in Scripture, the figurative use of light has two aspects. It has the intellectual and the moral. Intellectually, it represents truth. Whereas morally, it represents holiness. To to live in light, therefore, means to live in truth and to walk in holiness. When Psalm 119, 105, for example, says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I believe there's both an intellectual and a moral aspect here. We've got to know God's word. That's the intellectual part. But morally, it's got to light our path. It's got to make a difference in the direction we go. It must show up in how we act and how we follow. So do we know the light? Do we know the light of Jesus Christ, and are we walking in that light? Now, some of you are going to say, well, of course, Danny, I'm a Christian, right? I'm in the light. Well, don't be so quick. Paul said gossip was a part of walking in darkness. Paul said so was envy and deceit and slander and boastfulness. And young people, you're not going to want to hear it, but older people too, and disobeying your parents was walking in darkness. And some of those shows we watch, they're not exactly a portrayal of walking in the light with their perversions of God's good gift of human sexuality, the conniving manipulation of people, the belittling of healthy marriages, the violent acts. And what about the incessant bickering over almost every social issue? I I mean, I don't know about you, but at times that has been on the verge of plunging me into the gloom of darkness. And maybe it's just me. But I think it would help us all to ask, are we really walking as children of the light? Or are we really walking as children of the light, of the light of Jesus Christ? And how might we do that? Well, I want to suggest that it might begin by remembering that we are children of the light. That we're children of light, we're not children of darkness. Ephesians 5.8 says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. We all have different temptations. We all have different struggles, but regardless of the struggle, I found it helpful, at least for myself, to remind myself that I am a child of God, that I am a child of light, not a child of darkness. If I can remember to pause and and, and remind myself of that and to ask some questions, it helps. And that's a big if. 
you all know me long enough. You've known times when I didn't stop to think. You've known times when I've opened my mouth and said the wrong thing. You've known that. You've experienced that, sadly. But when I pause, when I do, I find it's helpful to ask my things, myself things like this. Would a child of light do that? Would we do it as a child of light? Should a child of light say that? Should a child of light watch that? I just think it's good and helpful to pause and to remember who we are. We're no longer children of darkness. We're children of light. And, and so we're called to walk as children of light. And then if we're going to walk in the light, we need to know the light, right? We need to know Jesus, and, and we need to especially know the Gospels, but ultimately we need to know all of Scripture. I, I memorized Psalm 119, 9 and 11 when I was a new believer, and I have come back to it so many times through the years. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's good advice for a not-so-young man as well. I simply know this, that, that I'm at my best. I'm most capable of pushing back the darkness and walking with Jesus when I am in his word, when I know what his word says about how I'm supposed to live. When, when I get busy and I haven't spent time in God's word except for to, to preach and teach you guys, then I'm more vulnerable. When I haven't really been in the word for, for what God wants to teach me and show me, I'm vulnerable. And I think so are you. We, we've got to be students of God's Word. And third, we need to seek to practice the light. Practice the character of light. John, in his first letter, didn't play around. He didn't hesitate. He wasn't subtle at all. In 1 John 3, beginning with verse 8, and get ready, this is going to hurt a bit, or at least it, it did me. He said, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Ouch. Ouch. For me, that's a sobering message. Because we all have our struggles with sin. But the teaching here of John and key is his phrasing the practice of sinning versus the practice of righteousness. He's asking, which are you practicing? What, what's your habit? Are you practicing righteousness or are you practicing sinning? What's the pattern of our lives? Are we walking in light or are we choosing to walk in darkness? Listen, I, I'm not suggesting this morning that, it, that it's simple. I'm not suggesting that if we just remember uh, to who we are and we study Scripture uh, and we practice walking in righteousness that we'll have it made. I, I'm not suggesting it's that simple. 
There's darkness lurking around every corner. One of the greatest followers of Christ ever, the Apostle Paul, said in Romans 7, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. You see, Paul understood the struggle. He understood that we're in a battle. That we're in a spiritual battle to walk in the light of Jesus Christ. But this same Paul said in Philippians 3, verses 8 and 9, that everything else is rubbish compared to gaining Christ and having a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. Therefore, he said, beginning in verse 12, not that I've already obtained it, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. You see, beloved, Paul knew he hadn't arrived. He knew what all of us should know, that we never fully arrive. He knew it was a struggle to walk in the light. But he never gave up the struggle. He kept pressing on. And in this regard for the church and for me as well, I have two concerns. And one is that I'm afraid that we've leaned over so much to compromise that we've fallen into the world that we've leaned over so much to compromise that we've fallen in. And two, and this is a hard one, but you and I are, are really good, really good at compartmentalizing our lives. That we'll run over here on Sunday and we'll do a little Jesus thing over here. And then the rest of the week, we'll just live like the rest of the world. That's a struggle for all of us. Trust me, there's fingers pointing back at Danny. So I want to urge us all to press on, to keep up the fight, to stand on strong biblical convictions, to live every aspect of our lives for the Lord Jesus, to, to keep remembering who we are and, and, and to know how to walk in the light by knowing Jesus and His truth, and then to seek every day to not compromise with darkness, but to practice walking in the light of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, like Paul, we all struggle. Lord, my family lives with me every day, and they know that there's times when the man in this pulpit struggles to be that same man during the week. And I'm not alone, Lord. We, we struggle in our walk with you.
We, we know sometimes the very good we want to do, but, but, but somehow we can't live as children of the light. We, we somehow keep living as children of the darkness, and, and we struggle, Lord. You know the struggle. The Bible tells us that you had every temptation we ever had, but, but the only difference was you didn't sin. So we struggle. Like Paul, Paul we, we know the good we want to do. We just have trouble doing it. And, and when we're doing good, we, we know that, that just around the corner, evil lurks. So Lord, like Paul, we want to press on. We want to choose light over darkness. So Lord, would you help us remember who we are and whose we are? Would you remind us each moment that we're children of the light? Oh God, make us students of your word and your will and empower us to walk in the light of Jesus. Lord, would you, would you keep us from a total compromise with the world? Keep us from compartmentalizing our lives? Oh Lord, instead help us to, to live every aspect of life for you and for your glory and in accordance with your will. Lord, the struggle is real. It, it may even be going on right now as we sit in this sanctuary, but it'll certainly continue and be there when we go out this door. So Lord, empower us. Help us to be more like you, to walk in the light. All this we pray through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God in glory, everlasting. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace today and forevermore. Amen.